God, we thank you that you're the good, good father, the one who is more than just a Lord, who is more than a friend. Lord, who transcends all of these different ideals that we have about you. God, you are so much more than we can fathom. Lord, I just thank you for the model of looking at what it is, if you know the relationship with a good dad, somebody who disciplines well, somebody who loves well, somebody who guides well. Lord, I know that that's the model that you set for us. What you desire from us is that kind of love that a son and a daughter gives to their father. So God, we desire to be those people, people that uh, honor you with our lives. Jesus, we put our trust and hope in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I uh, recently became a father. Thank you. Became a father for the fourth time. Never as much applause on that part. Really no applause, right? Because after the third kid, people stop congratulating you. Then they just treat you like you're Amish. Four, well, that's one way to live your life. Four kids, four kids. If you wanna know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. The good news is we live in a two-bedroom apartment, so I thought it through. I haven't slept in seven years. I didn't always look like this. I'm actually Puerto Rican. But the wear and tear of parents... I used to have thick black hair. I was muy guapo. No mas. No more guapo. Four kids. Bedtime is a crisis. That's why I'm here right now. It's too hard. They act like they've never been to sleep before. Bed? What's that? No, I don't want to do that. Then it becomes some hostage negotiation, but in reverse. Look, if you stay in there, I will give you whatever you want. I will meet your demands. What do you want, a helicopter to Cuba? Anything. Stay in there. There's always one awake. Like they're taking shifts. All right, I'll annoy him from midnight to two. Who wants three to six? Now let's lie down and practice kicking him in our sleep. How many of you can relate to that video? That's been you at some point. In time. And we are wrapping up our series today on better relationships by looking at parenting. And, and before we get too far into this today, I, I want to play a quick little game with you all. Um, I've got this list. Maybe you've heard the game Never Have I Ever. We're going to do it a little differently. Uh, you're just going to keep score. So on this list of parenting things, if you've done these, give yourself a point. If you've taken notes, you can make a tally mark. That's why we put those note sheets in the bulletin for you to take tally marks on my games I give you. Um, you can make a note in your head, on your fingers, whatever. If you're not a parent yet, 
I promise you, once you become one, within five years, you'll probably have a perfect score on this. So give yourself one point for each of these things. Number one, you have fallen asleep on the floor of your kid's bedroom. Number two, you hid an obnoxious toy from your kid while he was a sleeper at school. By the way, there's no judgment here, okay? Just so you know. Number three, you lingered on the toilet longer than you needed to because you were enjoying the solitude. <laughs> There's a little elbowing going on, on on that one right there. Number four, you told your child about starving kids in another country to guilt them into eating dinner. Number five, you left the house not realizing you had stickers on your clothes. My wife's shaking her head at me because I actually got away with this one time and the kids got blamed for it. I stuck stickers on her. Uh, I won't say where, but I stuck stickers on her and she went to work as a nurse and it was about six hours into her shift she found the Tyrannosaurus Rex sticker and blamed the kids. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Number six, you said one more episode and that turned into a three-hour binge-watching fest. Number seven, you consider a solo trip to the grocery store a miniature vacation. <laughs> Number eight, you ate your kid's Halloween candy after they went to bed. Some of you did this last night. You came to Trunk and Treat and you snuck a piece or two. Actually, I saw this meme this week and it made me think about this. Uh, this meme is, is me helping my kids find the person who stole their candy. Someone get it there. Yes, it's me helping my kids figure out who stole their candy. Yeah. Number nine, you've changed a diaper in the trunk of your car. Number ten, your kid fell asleep and you left their bedroom like a ninja so you wouldn't wake them up. Number eleven, this is my favorite one, uh, you saw your kid get hurt and thought, you kind of deserve that. <laughs> Number twelve, you pretended your kid was sick to get out of having to go to dinner at somebody's house. I'm hearing some people comment on these. Uh, number 13, you made a baby book for your firstborn and none of your other kids. We've got one for Elsie. We bought a book for Amelie, and I don't think we even tried with Titus, so, you know, third kids. Uh, number 14, the tooth fairy forgot to leave money. Number 15, you watched your kid run full speed into something, and your first instinct was to laugh. Number 16, you drove around for an extra hour because you didn't want your kid to wake up when you stopped the car. Number 17, again, maybe some of you did this yesterday. I know some of you did this yesterday. You wore a themed family Halloween costume. Number 18, you'll find yourself singing songs such as Baby Shark or Let It Go, even when the kids aren't around. Number 19, you've overstuffed the diaper genie and left it for somebody else to deal with. And number 20, you pretended you didn't smell a dirty diaper until your spouse said something. <laughs> I won't tell you which one of our music pastors does that one, or did that one anyway. I, I got 17 points on this quiz out of 20, just so you know, so don't feel bad. Man, parenting, I spent some time this week trying to figure out how to approach this. And, and one of the fun things about, about parenting is you kind of understand there's some, you just have to laugh sometimes. Like, parenting can be difficult, but sometimes you just have to laugh. I saw a couple of memes this week that cracked me up. This one's from one called The Dad. It says, my daughter kept trying to interrupt my work call to tell me something, so I put my boss on hold 
to listen to her because that's called priorities. And then she forgot why she wanted to tell me because that's called having kids. Anyone been there? <laughs> or this one from the Babylon Bee says that the study shows 60% of parenting is just locating your kid's shoes. This one related to us this week. We spent the last three weeks trying to find a pair of Titus's shoes. For three weeks, we couldn't find them. They were in his bed, like under his covers. Like, why? Why are your shoes in your bed? Parenting. Man, parenting is the most challenging and the most rewarding thing that we will ever do. It is. And the thing on parenting, this, this kind of cracked me up. Brad talked last week on marriage. If you missed it or if you want to hear it again, I would encourage you to go watch it, listen to it again. But Brad he talked about how him and Colette are coming up on 42 years of marriage, you know, well qualified to talk about marriage. So he asked me, a father of three young children who has no idea what he's doing, to get up here and talk about parenting today. Um, but I, I look at that, and I'm like, man, parenting is just so, so difficult. It's so hard. And you learn this almost from the first day you're a parent, that nothing has prepared you for this moment. I, I like this quote, that this really resonated with me this week, uh, from PJ O'Rourke. says, everybody wants to know how to, or everybody knows how to raise children, except the people who have them. <laughs> and that sounds, sounds probably familiar, right? Like, it's easy to raise kids when you don't have kids to raise. It's easy to give advice and input to people when you don't have kids there. But you realize pretty quickly that parenting is hard. But parenting is worth every second you can pour into it. I said a minute ago, it's both challenging and rewarding. I've got Titus who can absolutely wear me out and exasperate me and push me to the point of just wanting to see if I can take him to the store and trade him in for another one. And then he comes up the next moment and goes, hey, Dad, hey Dad, give me a hug. I'm like, stop being cute. I'm trying to be mad at you right now. Don't be cute. Parenting is hard. But again, it's worth every ounce of energy that we can put into it because parenting matters. And ultimately, how we parent matters to God. I believe that. There's a passage in Mark chapter 10 where we see Jesus interacting with kids. And the story kind of picks up like this. Mark chapter 10 verse 13. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. I'm going to pause this for a second. Jesus is at the peak of his popularity here. Jesus, uh, he's got just mobs and mobs of people coming to him. They're clamoring to get to him. They want to just touch him or, or hear from him or have him touch them and heal them. And the, the people bring their kids up, and the disciples are like, mm, get the kids out of here. This is adults. This is, this is serious business. And I love Jesus' response. Verse 14, when he saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. And I love this verse. He took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Jesus makes it clear in the Gospels many times that the kingdom of heaven is for children or people who are childlike. Now you think about kids, what's that mean? Kids are innocent. They're humble, they're honest. Uh, when, when a kid needs something, 
Like, there's no hesitation to ask. Now, my kids are starting to get to the age where they want to try stuff on their own, but ultimately they come to a spot, even Elsie, my oldest, who is very independent, she gets to a spot where she asks for help because she knows that she can't do it. As adults, we mask that a lot. We don't like to show our insecurities. We don't like to ask for help. Jesus wants us to take that childlike innocence and that childlike humility to come to him. And so when I read this passage and I look at what it means to be a parent, if children meant this much to Jesus that he was going to protect them and he was going to rebuke his disciples and push important people out of the way to get to them, if they mean that much to him, then how we parent the children he's trusted us with matters. We have to kind of make that correlation. And I think if there's one thing that we can all agree on, it's that how we parent matters. Now, how we parent may be different, and it can be divisive, but how we parent ultimately matters. That doesn't make it easy. I'm convinced of this. If you're here and you're, you're, you're a young couple, you're not parents yet, let me just give you a, a bit of advice here, okay? I am convinced you can read every book that has ever been written on parenting. You can talk to every person who's ever had a child. You can get all the knowledge and information that you could possibly acquire, and you will not be remotely prepared for parenthood. You're just not. And the reason is because you are unique. God created you with a unique set of skills and a unique set of traits and a unique personality, and your spouse the same way, and your kids the same way. So even though I'm a lot like my dad and I'm a lot like my mom, when it comes to parenting, I'm not either one of them. And Jennifer is not either one of her parents. And, and we get our kids. Elsie comes along, and, and Elsie is a lot like me, but she's unique. She's her own creation. She's got a lot of my traits and quirks. She's an overthinker. She's too analytical at times. She, she stresses and obsesses about things that don't matter. Uh, she wants to be noticed. She wants people to tell her she's done a good job. And, and so we, we learn how to work and, 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 and parent Elsie. And then about the time we get Elsie figured out, here comes Amelie, the number two kid, totally different than the first. A lot of you parents understand that. Your kids are so different. Amelie comes along and for like six months was the perfect baby, and then something happened overnight, and whew, I don't know, she was just high strong and, and was needy and, and, and let her opinion be known, and now she's kind of mellowed back out, and she's just easygoing, go with the flow, just happy, just easy. Then there's Titus. I don't have time to describe Titus this morning. He marches to his own beat, and I'm not even sure there's a drummer. He just does his thing. If you were here yesterday, you saw he just does his thing. Parenting is difficult because once you think you have something figured out with one kid, the others are different. And what my kids are going through at their ages now your kids might not have gone through at that age because I didn't go through that at my age. The world is changing so fast. It makes parenting that much more difficult. So let me just say this today. I know there are some of you in the room who your kids are grown. Some of you have grandkids. Some of you have great-grandkids. Some of you have uh, adult children that are about to have kids or just did. Some of you are like me. You're still in the middle of raising your kids. Some of you just had a baby or some of you aren't parents yet. What I'm going to do today is not try to pretend that I've got this all figured out. Again, I'm, I'm 39 and my oldest is nine and a half in fourth grade. I've still got a long ways to go in parenting. 
But what I've tried to do in my own life is just put together these, I've got four principles I've written down. I'm trying to put these to practice in my own life. I'll be clear, I'm not, I'm not, not, not always good at some of these, but I'm trying to be. But four principles that I want to give you, if your kids are growing, maybe you can pass it on to them or to a neighbor who's raising small children or somebody that you can help them out with. Here's the first principle when it comes to parenting, be intentional. Be intentional. Simply put, be there for your kids. Be present. It is so easy for us in our sinful world to get caught up in, in a selfish nature. And I'll be, I'll be honest, I can be a very selfish person, especially when it comes to my time and what I want to do. I can be very, very selfish. And I can do that at the expense of my kids. But sometimes the idea of being selfish or, or taking our time away from our kids isn't just wrapped in selfishness. Sometimes it's wrapped in this idea that we're actually doing something for our family. I'll say this and let me explain it. Sometimes there's a curse of being a hard worker. Like many of you, I grew up with a dad who was a boomer. And he prided himself on being a hard worker. He, and he was. I'm very proud to look at, at, at him and, and look at the work ethic he gave to me. My dad is a retired police officer. He worked part-time for a friend for 20, 30-plus years. In fact, just retired from that job as well. Uh, but my dad was a hard worker. He would work at least six days a week. Now, to that end, my dad didn't miss anything. He was there. He was at my ball games. He traveled with me every time we'd do stuff. We'd go fishing at times. Like, my dad was there. But I had friends whose parents weren't there because they were traveling for work all the time, and they couldn't be present. And yeah, they gave their kids cool stuff because they made good money, but they weren't there, and they weren't at games, they weren't at practices, they weren't there when they needed them to be there. And, and now that things have shifted, and so many of us are working from home, that line has kind of gotten blurred. When you're home, are you working, or are you there with your kids? The last few years when, when I was uh, pastoring in Oregon, there were several times I was working seven days a week. And I wasn't necessarily working from home, but I had to work when I was at home. Or I was in grad school and, and had that going on. And there were many times I can look back regretfully and I can say that I, I told my kids, just, I just need you to go away for a little bit. I've got to get this done. And, and I look back, I mean, it, it hurts me to say this, but I don't remember the first two years of my middle child's life. It was constant transition. We lived in three different states over those two years. We made four moves. It was chaos. But I didn't take the time to just be with Amelie until she was about two years old. Elsie, I can remember that. She was an only child for two years. That was, you know, the first, not only the only child, the only grandchild. Like, she got all the attention. And so I made clear that I wasn't going to do the same thing with Titus because I did it with Amelie. And it, it breaks my heart that, that that was the case. And so there comes a time when we have to draw a line and just be there and be present with our kids and give them our time more than our stuff. Because I can look back at, at my life now and, and look back at my parents and I can, can say this with confidence, that your kids will ultimately care more about moments than they're going to care about things. Like I can remember yelling at my dad when I was a teenager because I didn't get some of the stuff that my friends got. And I look back now as an adult thinking, man, what a jerk. What a spoiled jerk I was. He was working two jobs to provide, but I wasn't getting the cool shoes my friend had. Or I wasn't getting to go do some of the stuff that, that my other friends did. But I look back at this, 
And I, I look back in, 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 into my past, and man, I can just think of all the times that my dad took time to be with me and took time to do stuff. I'm a firm believer in this, that you should do stuff with your kids. Now, again, we talked marriage last week, and one of the things that Jennifer and I are trying to put into place, and I hope all you married couples do, is that husbands, take your wives on a date at least once a month. That's something we're trying to put into place. We'll take our kids somewhere, drop them off for the night, and it's just us. Kids don't, we're not, unless it's an emergency, we're not dealing with our kids tonight. It's just you and me tonight. But dads, date your daughters. Take your daughters to do stuff. It does not have to be fancy. Mine are young enough right now, I can get away with Taco Bell and the bowling alley. <laughs> or maybe the park if the weather's nice. It doesn't have to cost much. It doesn't have to be much. I remember one time, and, and dads, take your, your sons to do stuff too. Moms, take your sons on a date. I remember this one day, my dad picked me up early and took me fishing. We fished all the time in his boat on the lake. We just went to a pond. I don't remember where. I don't remember, I think I was around 10 or 11. We stopped and bought a pack of meat and a pack of cheese and went out and fished. He may not remember that day, but I do. You're going to remember those. Moments are going to matter more than things. So be intentional with your time, but also be intentional with your words. Be intentional with your words. Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul's talking about children and parents, and he says this, he says, to not exasperate your children. Instead, he says, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So in other words, be careful what you say to your kids, and be careful how you say it to your kids. I did some looking this week, and one of the things that I wanted to, to, to kind of find out was, I wonder what adult people wish their parents would have said to them when they were kids. You may have seen this. I put this on Facebook. I got a lot of responses to this. I did some research just online as well, too. But you know the three things outside of I love you, that was a blanket for both, the three things that that adults wish their dads would have said to them as kids? Number one was, I believe in you. Number two, I'm proud of you. And number three, you're doing a great job. Those were the top three. And there's some overlap on, on these, these lists. The top three things that they wish their moms would have said to them, you're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I'm here for you. Now, there's people who wish that the other parent would have said those same things. But those three things, are you saying those to your kids on a regular basis? I can tell you with mine, Elsie wants to hear I'm proud of you. Amelie wants to hear I love you. Titus wants to hear quotes from Toy Story right now because that's all he cares about. <laughs> Toy Story or planes, that's, he'll quote those all day long. I try every day to tell my kids I love them. My dad, I knew he loved me. I always knew. I never doubted that my dad loved me, but I don't remember him telling me until I graduated high school. And to his credit now, as he's gotten older, he has no problem saying it to me, to Jennifer, to my kids. He has no problem telling us at all. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I didn't actually ever hear him say those words. So I want to make sure that my kids know that. And I want to make sure that they know my love is not conditional. Elsie has this tendency every once in a while when she's messed up, she's done something wrong, she just falls apart. Just so much drama. Nine years old is so tough, you know. Just falls apart. And she'll, through tears and through broken, broken words, just say, I'm just afraid you'll stop loving me. I say, well, quit doing things wrong then. 
I'm just kidding. I only told her that once. <laughs> no, what do I say to her? There is nothing you can do that's going to make me stop loving you. Okay, you're, you're, my love for you is not based on how good you are at something. My love for you is not based on how good you are at school or how many friends you have or, or, or any of that. I love you. I love you, period. Our words can build our kids up or they can push our kids down. So make sure you are encouraging your kids to grow emotionally and spiritually every day. My, my second principle, my second tip in, in my parenting tip is this. Be consistent. Be consistent. This might be one of the harder ones to do. Be consistent. Uh, consistency starts with a few ideas, but the first one for me starts with a topic we don't like to talk about a whole lot, and that's discipline. It's not a popular topic to talk about with parenting, especially as, as the world is changing, how we discipline our kids is changing, and, and there's this push to do more positive reinforcement as opposed to negative reinforcement. But the Bible is very clear that you should discipline your kids. Proverbs chapter 29, it says, discipline your children and they will give you peace. They'll bring you the delights you desire. And, and so let me just say this, and I'll just say this bluntly. Your kid doesn't need you to be their friend. They need you to set boundaries and to set examples and to be the leader of their, their, their young life. I heard from, from different people this week, and, and it reminded me back to seeing when I was in high school or when I was teaching high school, there was always a few kids whose mom or dad tried to be their best friend to the point where they would take them to parties. They would stop and get them the alcohol on the way to parties. They would hang out at the parties with them. They basically just let them do whatever they wanted. And, and some of those kids turned out okay and some didn't. But there's a problem with that. And I heard from my friend Callie this week. She messaged me and, and said, of all the things I wished my mom would not have tried to be the cool mom. I wish she would have set boundaries and, and, and held me in check. Now, Callie wasn't a troublemaker. She wasn't a bad kid, and she's turned out really well. But she said, one of the issues is now that I'm trying to set boundaries for my kids, I don't know how to do that because I didn't see that. So I'm having to figure it out as I go. And that's something that I think we take for granted sometimes. I watched how my dad disciplined me and my brother and how he put boundaries in place for me and my brother. That's helped me as I become a father. Do I discipline my kids the exact same way as he did? No, and that's okay. But I saw that. I had that. And I think there's times, too, where we get this idea that our kids will resent us if we're hard on them. Again, my dad is a retired police officer. We had a pretty strict household, <laughs> And there's this idea that I could grow up to resent him because, you know, he, he told me no so often. In fact, there was a stretch where my dad was convinced if I wore my hat backwards, I was going to join a gang. Seriously. He still, if I wear a hat backwards, he tells me to turn it around. I'm 39 years old. I'm like, I moved out of your house a long time ago. Quit bossing me around. I said, I've got three kids and a mortgage. You can't control me anymore. <laughs> but today, my dad's one of my closest friends. And at this point in my life, that's a good thing. We can go do stuff together all the time. We were back in Oklahoma a few weeks ago. We went and golfed for the first time in years. You know, and we're going to have more opportunities to do things of that nature. And, and I'm going to say this too. This may fly in the face of what society tells us today, but this is my belief. You need to make it clear in your house to your kids that they are not the center of the universe. That may be a hard statement, and some of you may not like that. 
But with everything that's going on with kids these days, all the activities that are out there, all the sports, all the school activities, everything that goes on, man, you could have stuff every day of the week and you can live your life on the go constantly. I know some people who do. Make sure your kids know they are not the center of the universe. The two most important factors in your family should be faith and family. Your fa- you, you, you should be wrapped around your faith in God and your life together as a family. That requires time at home. It requires telling your kids no sometimes. It requires telling them not now, maybe later. It's okay to do that. So be consistent with, with discipline and boundaries, but also be consistent means to be reliable. Be reliable. Our kids need to know what they can expect from us. They need to. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just turn this on you all. How many of you like it when you've got a boss or a coworker or a neighbor or a, maybe somebody in your family who you don't know what to expect from them? You might approach them with the same thing and you get different re- responses every time. Now think about your kids who are still growing, still maturing, still trying to learn. If they come to you with an issue and one time you're willing to talk to about it, the next time you're not, what's that going to tell them? See, at some point, kids are like us. When they don't think that you're going to be willing to help them, they'll just go find somebody else who will. So be reliable. But also be humble with your kids. Your kids do not need to think you've got it all together. They don't. Our kids don't need to see us as perfect. They need to see us as human. They need to see our flaws. They need to see our weaknesses. Let your kids see your emotions. Uh, It'll show them that it's okay to not be whole and not be perfect. But on top of that, kind of like I mentioned a minute ago with my friend who's trying to figure out how to set boundaries, if your kids see you figuring out difficult situations, it'll help them learn how to figure out difficult situations at some point in their future as well too. Because the one thing we know is going to happen is the world is not going to be perfect for them. The world's not going to be nice to them all the time. Here's my third tip. Be focused on the big picture. Be focused on the big picture. I've said this since before I had kids, and I still believe this, and I think I will always believe this. As a parent, it is not my job to raise good kids. It's my job to raise good people who become followers of Christ. That's my job. They're going to be kids for a short time. It's my job to teach them what to do once they leave my house. I did the math this week. If Elsie goes to college after she graduates high school and doesn't move home, I'm halfway done with her already. She's, she's nine. She's in fourth grade. She has eight more years of school left. She'll graduate when she's 17. So we're halfway through turning her into an adult. Now, obviously, there's still a lot to do after that. Don't get me wrong. But the years entrusted with her and my home, we're halfway done already. Am I keeping her focused on the big picture? Am I keeping her focused towards God? You probably know this verse, Proverbs 22, one of the most famous verses on parenting and children. It says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they won't turn from it. And again, a lot of you know this verse. Maybe some of you who aren't even Christians know this verse. You've heard this verse, or you've heard the old King James version of it. I like how Charles Spurgeon takes it a step further. He says, train up a child in the way he should go, but make sure you go that way yourself. Maybe you heard statements like I used to hear from my dad. 
my dad, you know, ran around a lot when he was in high school and, and kind of ran the, the late 70s party scene. And he'd, he'd tell me several times, there's nothing you can do that I haven't already tried. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was his way of letting me know whether it's going to be fun or not or whether it's worth it or not. But he'd also always tell me that classic dad line, ultimately do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Remember that one? What Spurgeon's saying here basically is you can't live a do-as-I-say, not-as-I-do lifestyle and expect your kids to become who you want them to become. Kids are observant. And when I said a moment ago that our words matter, our actions matter more. Because kids today are being raised in a world that is far more skeptical than I was raised in or that you might have been raised in. They're taught to look through words and look at actions. That's what everything around them does. So what you do matters. And for me, to get my kids to become who I want them to become, the best way that I can do that is to prioritize what I want them to eventually prioritize. To put the things that matter in front so that maybe one day they'll matter to them. For me, that's Christ, that's his church, and that's his word. I want to make sure my kids understand why I value this so much. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we read these words, starting in verse 18. It says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children will be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. And so I think about this. What do I want my kids to do? I want my kids to follow Christ, not just because I told them that they should. I want them to develop a deep desire and a deep longing to dive into his word on a regular basis and study it. I want my kids to serve him, to serve the church. I want them to long for a Christian community. I want them to, to make a, an impact in their world for the kingdom. I want them to, to spread the gospel as far as they can spread it. I want them to treat others the way Jesus treated others. And I can't expect that from them if I'm not doing that myself. And if I'm not making that a priority in our home. And it's more than just that because I don't only just want to show kid, uh, my kids what it means to do that. I want to show them why we do that. Because we're sinners saved by the grace of Jesus. Saved by the blood of Jesus. And when I show them that, I show them that I don't have this all figured out and that I can't do this all on my own, that I need the grace of God. And I think understanding that need for grace and mercy in my own life and showing it to them helps me be more empathetic to them and to help them more and to parent them better. Paul David Tripp said it like this. He said, no parent gives mercy better than one who is convinced he desperately needs it himself. And I can just tell you, man, I need the grace and the mercy of God every single day. So I want my kids to see that. I want them to see that I need that because I want them to know that they need it in their lives. Here's my last tip, my fourth one. This one to me might be just as important as the last one. Get yourself and your marriage in order first. Now let me put a disclaimer here because if you're not married, if you're a single parent, Get yourself in order first, okay? Get yourself in order. 
or if you're dating, or if you're looking at potentially getting remarried, make sure you get that in order first. I said this a few minutes ago about making kids the center of the universe. Let me explain this a little bit more here. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you. Now, in this particular verse, he's talking about money. He's talking about faith and your heart and all of this, but this also applies beyond just that. It applies to everything that we value and treasure in our lives. When it comes to parenting, let me just say that my first priority as a dad must be my own walk with Jesus Christ. It has to be. My first priority must be on my own walk with Christ. My second priority is my wife. My second priority in parenting is my wife. And my goal isn't just to strengthen both of those two things. I mean, it is. I want to strengthen my walk and I want to strengthen my wife and her walk. My goal isn't just to do that. It's to make sure my kids see that. And to make sure they understand why that is so important to me. Maybe you've seen this graphic before uh, called the marriage triangle. And it's this idea that God is on the top and the husband and wife are on the bottom. And what this triangle represents is a simple principle. As the husband and wife, if we just focus on each other, we're going to stay down there farther apart. But if each of us individually start working our way closer to God, we get closer together. And so the arrows go up. As we get closer together, we get closer to God. But it's more than just even that. Part of what, what this triangle can represent is we cannot just build our lives together uh, closer to God, but our kids are going to follow along and do this as well too. See, I, 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 I want to emphasize my bride. I want to emphasize my wife, and I want my kids to see that. I want them to watch this. I, see, I want, want them to see me celebrating her and making a big deal about her. And there's reasons for that. If we're growing together spiritually and we're getting closer to God, our kids are going to follow. But more than that, I want my daughters to see how I treasure her. I want my daughters to see what I say to her. And I want my daughters to see when I walk up in the kitchen and give her a hug or a kiss, which is hilarious right now because Elsie's at that age where she turns around and makes noises and Amelie wants in between us. I don't know how long that'll last, but <laughs> Amelie wants to be a part of it. I want my daughters to see that so that they can eventually look for that in a husband. And I want Titus to see that so he can know what to do with a spouse. Does that mean I'm a perfect husband? By no means. I've, I mean, I've made my mistakes for sure. But I want them to see me valuing and treasuring her. I want our marriage to be strong because if our marriage starts to struggle, our ability to parent is going to struggle too. Uh, last week, Brad talked about marriage, and he mentioned that the average length of a marriage today is eight and a half years. And maybe you've seen the statistic that around 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's a little bit of a misleading statistic. But I, I saw this statistic that breaks it down further. About 40 to 41% of first marriages end in divorce. Second marriages, that number jumps to 67%. Third marriages, it jumps clear to 75%. You could just keep going and the number keeps climbing. And there's reasons for this. One, often that first marriage we consider a soulmate. And sometimes that's harder to break apart. A second marriage isn't so much. That's easier. But also two kids factor in. Sometimes kids will keep a first marriage together when it could break apart. But often kids can drive a second marriage apart. Because now you've got stepchildren in the mix 
and it just complicates things. And I say that because the divorce numbers matter when it comes to kids. Because when you look at the rates of, of marriages in America where the partners came from divorced uh, households, if one of the two partners came from a divorced household, that couple is 69% more likely to get a divorce than a couple that came from one that didn't, if one partner did. If both partners came from a divorced household, that number is 189 times or 100% more more likely, 189% more likely to end in divorce. Some of you right now are single, or some of you have been remarried and you're part of a blended family. And I know those come with challenges. My parents divorced right after I graduated high school. My brother was going into his freshman year of high school. It hit him a whole lot worse than it hit me, because I was ready to step out on my own at that point, or at least I thought I was. I was 18. I knew everything, right? And my dad remarried once, and then, then he's remarried again. And I, I'm thankful now as I sit here looking back 20 years later, both my mom and my dad are in good, healthy marriages to amazing people. And so if you're a part of a blended family, can I just, just give you two bits of advice with it? Number one, make sure your kids know that you and your spouse are a team. Don't let your kids pit you against one another. I know that's easier said than done, but don't let your kids pit you against each other. Make sure they know you're a team. It's easy to do that from kids' standpoint. I, I understand that. But number two, make sure your kids know you love them, especially your stepkids. Make sure you know that they, you love them. And you can say, you know, I may not do things the way you, you wanted them to be done. I may be different than what you're used to. That's okay. I still love you. I clashed with my stepdad a lot when him and my mom first got together. He did things a whole lot different than I expected them to be done. That's okay. That's okay. We get along great. And what I love looking back at this, at my, my, my stepdad Bob and my stepmom Mary, is they've only been in my life a, a short percentage of my life. As far as they're concerned, I've never not been a part of it. They treat me like I'm their own. They treat my wife like she's their own. They treat my kids like they are their own flesh and blood grandkids. And as far as my kids are concerned, they don't know any different, and I'm okay with that. Make sure your family knows there's love there. Because at the end of the day, folks, again, parenting is a hard, challenging task. But it's a rewarding task. And it's one that if we do it well, we're going to lead the next generation of the church to grow and to mature and to become kingdom-minded disciples. It's easy to say that you want your kids to grow up and have better and be better than what you have and what you were. My dad used to say that about me. I want you to have a better job than I have, make more money than I have, and be a better dad and a better husband than I am. He used to tell me all those things, and I think he believed it. And I want the same for my kids. I want them to grow up and, and have better and be better than, than, than what I am and what I have. But more than any of that, what I really truly want, I want my kids to grow up and make a bigger impact in the kingdom than I could ever hope to. I want them to have a deeper and richer walk with Christ than I can ever have. I want them to understand the word better than I ever will. That's what I want for my kids. I want them to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. But as a parent, that starts with me. So here's a takeaway for you. It's pretty simple today. Be the follower of Jesus that you want your kids to become. It's that simple. 
We've got a lot of resources and groups here at the church to help you out with that. If that's you today, maybe drop that connection card in the boxes on your way out. Get in one of our home groups. Get plugged in, serve with us, because we want to help you become that follower that you want your kids to become. Let's pray. God, we are so, so thankful that you are a good, good father. And I know, Lord, some of us maybe didn't grow up with that good fatherly example, but we know we have you that we can lean on and your word that we can lean on. So God, help us today. If it's somebody in in the same boat like me who's currently racing,